0: Hi guys, welcome back to Box Tablet, the weekly podcast of Tablet Magazine. I'm Julie Subrin. Today we're remembering Russia's best loved balladeer. <speaking in the language> Vladimir Vysotsky would have turned 75 this week, and though he died more than three decades ago, he's still revered in Russia as a singer and poet who captured the mood and the soul of a dejected generation. But while Vysotsky was clearly a product of his time and place, which is to say post-Stalinist USSR, his music and its message have found their way into social movements all over the world, including, most recently, the tent protests in Israel. Today on Vox Tablet, Liel Leibovitz is looking at the too short life and enduring afterlife of this remarkable man.
1: This week would have been Vladimir Vysotsky's 75th birthday. Even explaining who he was is a complicated act. Imagine a poet and a singer like Bob Dylan, who has the good looks and tragic life of James Dean and the moral gravitas of A. Weiwei. For Russians, he was the voice, the face, the soul of his generation. Vysotsky was the son of a Jewish colonel in the Red Army. He disappointed his parents by dropping out of engineering school and becoming an actor instead. He was talented, but his voice, as teachers told him, was truly awful. Vysotsky's solution was to revel in his imperfections. He wanted to sing. It wasn't just a whim. It was the 1950s, a time of thaw after Stalin's death, and all over Russia, the prisoners of the dictator's gruesome labor camps were coming back from the cold. Vysotsky was mesmerized by these men and women, so many of whom were, just like him, the sons and daughters of respectable middle class, often Jewish families. He learned the songs they had sung in the camps sung them on stages all over Russia, and soon, he started writing his own material.
0: He
1: was an instant hit. His songs were folk songs of sorts, ballads, but always with the same three chords, always in a minor key, and always with a rhythm that made the pulse quicken. And the words were astonishing. Vysotsky was partly allegorical, partly conversational. He used dirty words, beautiful idioms, and told stories about people who were thoroughly recognizable. In a place where culture was dominated by grandiose propaganda, such depictions of ordinary life were radical. In one famous song dialogue in front of the TV set. He describes the dismal evening of a couple sitting in front of the tube and watching mindless entertainment while talking about the hardships of life and the drunkenness of everyone they know. Watch Vanya, now the acrobats are starting. Those cartwheels, wow, the tall one with a hat. The other day, at our factory party, comrade Satiko, he jumped around like that. This, of course presented the authorities with difficult questions. Had Vysotsky been explicitly anti-Soviet, they could have arrested him or exiled him. But he was something more. He was un-Soviet, singing about normal life, about suffering, about alcohol, about sex, about war. What could he be accused of? And he was too popular to censor. So rather than ban Vysotsky from singing and risk making him an even bigger hero, the Soviet authorities practiced containment. He could perform, they said, but only with special permission. But Vysotsky was smarter. He traveled the country, playing many of his concerts far from the prying eyes of the apparatchiks in Moscow. Everywhere he went, he played five or six concerts or more, each of them before thousands of cheering fans. And those who saw him passed his music on, using any means at their disposal, like film strips cut off of old x-rays, His fans recorded him and passed his music along, Samistat-style, underground. This grueling pace of life and the burdens of trying to live as an honest and sensitive man in a nation dedicated to perpetrating big, official lies took their toll and drove Vysotsky, like so many Russians, to drink. This only made Vysotsky's legend grow. He was acting the part of the wild bard. His poetic prowess, too, seemed to increase with each drink. His songs, once just rousing ditties, were getting darker, more complex. Like Song of an Anti-Semite, here's how it begins. Just being a hoodlum appears so trite, I ought to convert to an anti-Semite. This cause might not yet have the law on its side, but millions of zealots support it worldwide.
0: No no
1: Vysotsky's language was sharp and satirical, and his allegiance is humanistic and universal. In 1980, in the middle of the Moscow Olympics, Vysotsky died of an alcohol-induced heart attack. He was 42. Tens of thousands of Moscovites filed out of the stadiums where the games were played and rushed down to the Taganka Theater, Vysotsky's old haunt, to pay their respects. By the end of the decade, the Iron Curtain had collapsed, and Vysotsky's music, once considered forbidden, was now celebrated. Statues of him were erected, and volumes of his work were rushed into print. He was commemorated as just the sort of man he hated, a bloated icon, a saint, Outside of Russia, however, Vysotsky's afterlife was far more fascinating. In the 1990s, recordings of his music flourished all across Europe. I came across Vysotsky in Israel, where one of the country's biggest rock stars, Arkady Dukhin, a native of Belarus, dedicated an entire album to covers by his favorite bard. One song in particular struck a chord. It was Timbel, a cover of Vysotsky's Durachina, or Fool. It tells of an innocent bumpkin who, dumb luck, keeps kicking higher up the ranks of officialdom until he becomes a mad dictator and wreaks havoc. Vysotsky had probably written the song with Stalin in mind, but it suited every bumbling general and two-bit politicians milling about Israel's halls of power. Tembel. Became an instant classic. Most people who chanted it had no idea they were singing Vysotsky. In the summer of 2011, when thousands of Israelis set up tents in the streets of Tel Aviv to protest the skyrocketing cost of living, Duchin stopped by with a small keyboard. He played Tembil. By the time he reached the refrain, the audience was singing along, clapping, not just enjoying the song, but believing in it. And that's the power of Vysotsky. He was thoroughly Russian, but he worked just as well in translation. He sang about the indignities of life in an oppressive regime, but the same indignities rang true decades later in free societies. When he died, one of the fans gathered outside the theater said, We often hear that we are worth nothing, that we have no freedom. All of that is true, but when you hear it over and over again, you are caught by despair. God, what kind of nation are we? And then it comes to us. We have Vysotsky. Those of us who are fortunate not to live under oppression may not value Vysotsky in quite the same way, but his spirit continues to guide us all the same. For Vox Tablet, I'm Liel (laughs) Leibowitz.
0: Своих нагайкаю, стегаю, погоняю. Что-то воздуху мне мало. Ветер пью, туман глотаю, чую с гибельным восторгом. Пропадаю, пропадаю, чуть помедленнее кони. Leah Libowitz is a senior writer for Tablet Magazine. What do you think? Do you think it's true that Vysotsky's music speaks to the human condition, or does it have more of a Soviet-had-to-be-there kind of vibe? Let us know. Go to tabletmag.com, click on today's podcast, and post a comment. You've been listening to Vox Tablet. I'm Julie Subrin. Thank you so much for tuning in. We've got some great conversations coming up, so don't change that dial or, you know, whatever, podcast.